Hey friends, this is Linda. You're listening to Calling Water. Each week on our podcast, we look at a passage of scripture and ask ourselves two questions. What does it mean? And what does it call us to do? In today's episode, The Way to Be Saved, we're continuing the story of Paul in Macedonia, namely when he and Silas end up in prison, in Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 34, and how we need to re-examine what it really means to be saved. Let's get started. Today's text picks up the story of Paul in Philippi after his encounter with Lydia. If you recall from our previous episode, Paul and his companions go to Macedonia after having a vision of a man asking for help. And when they arrive in the city of Philippi, however, they don't find any such man, but instead a group of women with whom they share the gospel message. And because of this, Lydia and her household become believers, and she even opens up her home to them. Sometime during their stay in that region, Paul and company were met by a servant girl who had some kind of divining spirit that allowed her to predict the future. And by doing so, she raked in a lot of money for her owners. Acts chapter 16, verse 17 describes her actions like this. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. Now this bothered Paul a great deal. I mean, strictly speaking, she wasn't wrong. In today's parlance, we might ask, where's the lie? Because Paul and his friends indeed were servants of the most high God and their singular purpose for being in Macedonia was to tell people the way to be saved. Maybe she was saying it sarcastically and kind of mocking them, or perhaps she was drawing unnecessary attention to them and putting their lives in jeopardy, or it might've just been that she was following them around incessantly and impeding their work. Whatever the case, verse 18 tells us, finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. Notice that Paul doesn't drive away the spirit out of charity or compassion or even conviction, but simply because he's annoyed. Because had he paused for just a second to think about the consequences of this action, or even considered what might become of this girl now that she could no longer make any money for her owners, he might have handled the situation differently, perhaps, because predictably her owners were livid. Paul and apparently Silas as well had essentially shut down an incredibly lucrative business, so much so that the men drag Paul and Silas into the marketplace and bring them in front of the authorities. And their charges against them are as follows in verses 20 through 21. These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Notice that they make no mention of the fact that these guys cost them financially. That's not even an issue anymore. Now, it could be that they were engaged in illegal activity themselves by monetizing the servant girl's ability or Maybe they thought the authorities would do nothing to compensate for their losses, 
So what do they do? They start fear-mongering. They villainize Paul and Silas and claim that they are a threat to the general public. They stir up prejudice and hatred against Paul and Silas under the pretense of upholding Roman law, but really they were manipulating the law and the citizens to settle a personal score. And sadly, as we know from our present day experiences too, it works. The people turn on them. The authorities have Paul and Silas severely beaten and thrown into prison without a trial. So at this point in the story, I feel like Paul and Silas would have had every right to feel resentful of their circumstances, even at God, I would imagine. After all, hadn't they been faithfully serving God? The least God could have done is to protect them from this fate. Did they really follow a divine vision only to be tortured and imprisoned? And though the text doesn't say, they probably did spend a little time lamenting this turn of events and feeling dejected and abandoned even. But somehow, their anguish turns to praise. Verse 25 says that, at about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. No doubt, they had also taken the time to tell these other prisoners about Jesus too. I mean, they probably inspired them with a message of hope. So then, what happens next seems to support their message about a God who saves, because verse 26 says, suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Can you imagine being Paul or Silas in that precise moment? They were praising God and then boom, the earth shakes. The prison doors fly open, the chains come loose. Wouldn't you use that to tell all the prisoners See, I told you, I knew God would come through, then lead everyone out in a glorious prison break. But in their prayers and songs of praise, Paul and Silas gained clarity. They didn't see the prison as merely a terrible situation to escape from, but as an opportunity to continue to do God's work. Whereas previously with the servant girl, they didn't think so much about the consequences of their actions. This time they thought ahead. They knew that if all the prisoners did escape, the jailer in charge would be punished for allowing that to happen, even though it was completely out of his control. Turns out the earthquake wasn't a way out. It was a way in. The jailer appears on the scene and seeing that all the prison doors are now open, he attempts to take his own life. But before the jailer could do anything, Paul shouts out to him, letting him know that all the prisoners, every single one, was still there. None of this made any sense to the jailer, obviously. How had Paul and Silas convinced every single prisoner to stay in their wide open cells? And why were these two criminals the ones to show him mercy? So then he asked them this question in verse 30. Sirs, 
what must I do to be saved? Now, we don't really know what the jailer meant by this question. Was it a spiritual question, an existential question, a literal question? But Paul and Silas take the opportunity to address the saving that mattered most. And verse 31 says, they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And that's exactly what he does. He brings Paul and Silas to his home, washes their wounds, feeds them, and gives them a chance to share God's word with his entire household. And all of them believed in God that day. Now, perhaps it's because Paul and Silas didn't escape that night, or who knows, maybe the jailer put in a good word for them. But the next day, they are released from prison. After all, they had no grounds to hold them anyway. Paul points out the injustice of being beaten and incarcerated very publicly and then being asked to leave quietly out the back door. So he demands that their release be made public as well. And once the authorities learned that Paul and Silas were actually Roman citizens who they had punished and jailed without cause or trial, they acquiesce and escort them out. Paul and Silas then return to Lydia's house before leaving the city. So what does this call us to do? Now, so much happens in the story that we could spend hours talking about it, but there is a central theme that bookends this passage of scripture that I want us to think about today. The fortune-telling girl had announced to the world that Paul and Silas were in town to tell people the way to be saved. Then the jailer asked them what he must do in order to be saved. And maybe this is a question you're asking too. And it's a good question. Even if you've considered yourself a Christian, a believer, a God follower your whole life, we can ask this today, am I saved? And in order to answer this question, we need to ask a different question first. What does it mean to be saved? Now most, if not all of us, will confidently say that it means believing that Jesus died and rose again for our sins so that one day we might go to heaven. Our evangelistic efforts are focused on getting people to receive Jesus and obtain membership at a local church. But being saved is much more than a one-time profession of faith. Now, if we look back on Acts chapter 16, verse 31, we find that Paul and Silas answered the jailer with a simple statement. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus. The way to be saved is in the person of Jesus. Not to only believe in the way he died, but also in the way he lived. Now, this is beautifully described in this excerpt from the book Evolving in Monkey Town by Rachel Held Evans, where she says, When I imagined what it would be like to give generously without wondering what's in it for me, to give up my grudges and learn to diffuse hatred with love, to stop judging other people once and for all, to care for the poor and seek out the downtrodden, to finally, be finally believe that stuff can't make me happy, 
to give up my urge to gossip and manipulate, to worry less about what other people think, to refuse to retaliate no matter the cost, to be capable of forgiving to the point of death, to live as Jesus lived and love as Jesus loved, one word came to mind, liberation. Following Jesus would mean liberation from my bitterness, my worry, my self-righteousness, my prejudice, my selfishness, my materialism, and my misplaced loyalties. Following Jesus would mean salvation from my sin. What I'm trying to say is that while I still believe Jesus died to save us from our sins, I'm beginning to think that Jesus also lived to save us from our sins. Um, isn't that powerful? Yes, Jesus died to save us from our sins, but Jesus also lived to save us from our sins. Being saved is not only about where you will spend eternity, but how you are spending your here and now. So friends, ask yourself again, am I saved? Like, am I really saved in the fullest and truest sense? Since being saved, have I let go of habits and thought patterns that stand in the way of my love for God and his people? Have I shown hospitality or did my needs always come first? Have I stood up for the voiceless and the oppressed or have I made them feel small and unwelcome? Am I listening for the Spirit's prompting and guidance even in the worst of times or am I just looking for the easy way out? Think about these things because even though you don't need to work for your salvation. It's free. You definitely need to work out your salvation. And the way to do that is to follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are a God who saves. And you are a God who saves completely. You not only grant us the gift of eternal life with you one day, but also give us the freedom from our own ways brought on by self-serving and often destructive impulses. Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. Help us to follow your way and lead others to know that being saved means to be free. In your name we pray.